there's no moral imperative in entrepreneurship. That's a big takeaway here. It's not morally or ethically superior to have a business. It's just a choice. It's just like I can't say it's morally or ethically, ethically superior for someone to be an engineer over a janitor. It's just a choice, uh, you, you know? And so a lot of times entrepreneurship feels like you're a janitor. You're cleaning up everyone else's shit. Welcome to the New Wave Entrepreneur, where we dive headfirst into Web 3.0, personal sovereignty, spirituality, and psychology. These conversations are unfiltered access to brilliant minds and actionable advice that will prepare you for the rapidly changing world. So jump in. The water is warm and the tide is rising. Ah, my friends, welcome back to another episode of the New Wave Podcast. Daniel DiBiazzo checking in with you here. I just had a cup of coffee and I feel so good. So today we're going to jump into Saturday Q&A. Before we jump into that, I want to just thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for all the reviews, the comments, the podcasts, the messages, the DMs. Not so much the news, but everything else in between. It's been much appreciated. You can go to New Wave Entrepreneur on any podcast platform that you like, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Overcast, uh, iHeartRadio, Pandora, all those. Like, subscribe, leave a comment, leave a review. It will really help us. It's much appreciated. Make sure you go to newwaveentrepreneur.com. That's where we have the updates on the show. That's where you send out all the actual recent updates on the episodes because sometimes the platforms don't like what we put out. And that's where you can get updates on the workshops we're doing. That's where you can get updates on the New Wave Dinner Experience, which I'm hosting all around the country. And yeah, just tap in with me. So newwaveentrepreneur.com is where you get those updates. I also have free guides on there for you too. Did you know that? So make sure you go there. All the stuff is always in our show notes, by the way, but I just want to draw your attention to that and make sure you're going over there and signing up for our email list. Okay, so that is it. Now today we're going to get into our Q&A and I always do Q&A on Saturdays. And typically what I'll do is I'll do one of a few things. I will, one, take questions from my Instagram lives that I do, or I'll take them from my DMs. So you can always DM me there. You can also email me, daniel at newwaveentrepreneur.com and leave me your question and I'll answer them there. And this question today comes from Susan H. I have three questions I want to share with you. And the first one is, hey, Daniel, everyone in my circle is really into entrepreneurship and business. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of on the fence. What are the, the pros and the cons? In other words, what are the reasons I shouldn't start a business? And I thought this was very interesting because well, this is a question that should be asked more often. So first of all, Susan, thank you for the question and I'll give you my thoughts. You know, um, this is a question that should be asked a lot more often. And I think that with a culture that's really pushing the value of freedom that entrepreneurship offers, it's worth noting, uh, it's worth asking, do I even want to own a business? Because not all businesses are sun and roses, you know, uh, sunshine and rainbows. In fact, I, I would venture to say that for the first Several years, at least, starting in a business actually lowers the quality of your life. Most people think that starting a business or becoming a business owner, it will automatically raise the quality of your life. That is absolutely not true. In fact, there's a big difference between an entrepreneur uh, and a business owner. And I would just say that the entrepreneur is part of the aspirational uh, element of business ownership. Entrepreneur means someone who can make a dollar out of nothing, someone who can find a need in the market and fill it. Those are, that's the philosophical underpinning, but the reality of it is it takes business ownership and with high potential reward comes higher than average risk. Now, contrary to popular belief, entrepreneurs are not all risk takers. In fact, most of us are risk averse in uncertain markets and we're trying to make the best decisions day to day to bring the best results for our company and the people who depend on it. So the payoff for handling this level of responsibility with courage and with tenacity is great. 
and you can create an infinite wealth and freedom from this, and it brings the ability to affect the world in pretty extraordinary ways, but the road is not for everyone. So you here are my bullet points, okay? Here are the reasons that you should not consider the entrepreneurial journey or the things that would be red flags. So for instance, if you prefer to follow the directions of others than lead a group, I think that entrepreneurship is not the best fit for you. Entrepreneurship is like that meme of the dog who has his leash in his own mouth. He has to lead himself because no one's going to tell you what to do. I sometimes wish I had someone, a boss over me to say, do this, then this, then this. I have to be my own boss. That's why I'm at a studio right now recording this thing at my house. You know why? Because I wasn't getting any work done. So here's how I bossed myself. I had to say, Daniel, you have a, a schedule that you want to create or that you want to hit. You're not hitting it. So what are you going to do? And I said, okay, Daniel, well, if I was an employee, what would I tell myself to do? I would say, all right, well, go somewhere where you can work in a more quiet environment. So what did I do? I hired someone to become my production assistant. My production assistant found the studio. The studio booked the time and I'm in here doing this work. But I had to become my own boss and then hire an employee to tell myself to do that, to do the thing I could have done anyway. But when you're working for yourself, you have to create systems to get yourself to do the thing that you don't need to do because there's no one else that's going to tell you to do it. And sometimes you need that that push from, from an authority figure. But when you're the authority figure, sometimes you let yourself go. You give yourself slack. So if you prefer to follow the directions of other people, then lead a group, uh, something to consider. And even if you don't like leading a group, self-leadership is so important. And people who show up at a job expecting to be told what to do often aren't the ones who really excel into leadership positions in those jobs. But if you thought that you're bad at leading people now, imagine having to do it when there's no one else to lead but yourself and you don't have any practice. So quite uh, quite important. So I say if you are one that just likes to uh, – and by the way, when I'm saying this, I'm not really um, – I'm not dogging different personality types because not everyone – should or should want to be an entrepreneur. In fact, I just did a podcast episode recently and uh, with with a friend of mine, James Lindsay, who's a very successful guy. He sold hundreds of millions of units of uh, his one product. It's actually a snack brand. And he, you know, the first question I asked him was, should every company, should every person be an entrepreneur? Is it for everyone? He said, absolutely not. Uh, and that's the truth, you know. So I'm not really dogging a certain personality type when I say, oh, if you're not a leader, this, this, and that. I'm just saying it takes a certain amount of, it's like a type A personality. You have to have the strong vision for a thing that you want. And you have to get up every day and be like, okay, I'm going to just do this thing again and it's probably not going to work. But then I got to call other people and get them involved in it and I got to make it make money. And it's all, you know, it's a lot of effort and the payoff is huge if you can get it right. But it really takes a lot of uh, directions and following your own direction first and foremost. So if you prefer to to uh, be, le- be following and leading, then it's okay. And by the way, I often wish that I could just lead and or just follow and not lead. But unfortunately, there's no one that's going to pay me to do this the way that I want to do it. So that's why I said it. Uh, next thing is, you should uh, not consider the entrepreneurial journey if you need security and stability of a consistently predictable salary to feel good about yourself. Um, I will not perpetuate the narrative of starving, struggling artist. I will not perpetuate the narrative of starving, starving, struggling business owner. Those are all things that you can solve through your ingenuity, through your knowledge of marketing and sales, through your development of business practices. But it's no secret, the first few years of you building your business, unless you're like my friend Tom Bilyeu, who was able to make a a billion-dollar company in five years, uh, but that wasn't his first business. So, you know, we have to give him some credit. But unless you're Tom Bilyeu, those first few years of business are going to be a challenge. And, um, you know, that's okay. You're probably not going to be making a very predictable income, which is why I don't recommend you quit your job your first few years of business ownership. It doesn't mean it's one or the other. You can certainly have a nine to five and then a six to 10 or whatever it is. You know, it's called moonlighting. 
uh, which is not which is not to be confused with gaslighting. But you are not going to be as stable income wise because a system must be developed to create customers and to build consistency in revenue. And that's not going to happen for a few years. You need to understand that and you need to have a vision that's strong enough for you to stick through that uh, that period. And if that's something that freaks you out too much, then it's not for you. Like my mom, for instance, I was, I'm like, I was trashing my mom. I'm not trashing her. It's we have different uh, personality traits and probably her personality traits formed the opposite in me. It's like, you know, you have the yin and the yang thing. She is very risk averse where she would feel very uncomfortable having to go out there and create a product and sell it. She would rather sell someone else's product. And there's actually nothing wrong with that. It's just knowing who you are. Entrepreneurship, because it's not, there's no moral imperative in entrepreneurship. That's a big takeaway here. It's not morally or ethically superior to have a business. It's just a choice. It's just like I can't say it's morally or ethically superior for someone to be an engineer over a janitor. It's just a choice, uh, you, you know. And so, a lot of times, entrepreneurship feels like you're a janitor. You're cleaning up everyone else's shit, and that should be thought of as something that you're making as an active choice. And you're knowing, going into that, knowing that there will be some times of instability, but because of the choice you're making, you're okay with that. And that's something you need to know going in. You should also not consider the entrepreneurial journey if you enjoy being able to mentally clock out from work at the end of the day. Uh, you know, my um. My dad is a trucker. He works uh, – uh, right now he's hauling uh, uh, diesel fuel. And, um, you know, he is loading and unloading, I don't know, 10,000 tons of diesel fuel a week or something crazy like that. But you know what? When he's not in the truck, he's out in the truck. You can't make him think about the truck if he's not in the truck because the only time he's working is when he's driving the truck. But that's not the case with your own business. There's never – driving the truck is every single second of every single day. You know, you're always thinking about what's next. You're always thinking about, uh, you know, what the next plan is, the next idea. And if you're listening to this, I'm assuming you have, you're a curious person with an ambitious uh, mind. And even if you have a career and a regular job, you're always going to be thinking about the next step. But I think with a business, it's kind of like, you know, on crack. And you, you're not going to be able to mentally check out because there's always going to be something to do. And if you want uh, rest, I think that especially the first few years of the business, you're not going to get it just like a baby and you shouldn't expect to clock out. So know that going into it or maybe it's not for you. Another thing is don't really look to entrepreneurs, to entrepreneurship if mistakes frustrate you and discourage you. If you don't like the idea of failing repeatedly, this is not for you. Uh, I, could, I could really add pretty much anything worthwhile to that. Here's what I want you to remember. Failure is the indicator of success down the road, even if it's not the indicator of success now, because just like a heat-seeking missile, you're you're constantly moving towards what is right and what is true by figuring out what's not true and what's not right. And you only figure out what's not true and what's not right by failing, right? And failure needs to be reframed as a necessary step to embrace, not avoid. I mean, I you know, I look, I make everything about jujitsu. I'm sorry, uh, but when you're training on the mats, you don't learn anything from completing the move perfectly. You only learn something when what you're trying doesn't work. Similarly, when you're defending something, you're not going to learn if your defense is tight if your partner isn't actually trying to hurt you or if you're perfectly defending it in practice. Now, when you're actually out in a live match and it gets through your defenses, that's a failure on your part. But you certainly did learn how that felt to fail. 
or you learned where your hands were positioned when you failed, or you learned what move you made right before you failed. And if you can internalize that and catalog that, well, then you cannot do that again. And so that's really what it is. Now, the last thing I'll say is if you aren't willing to wait a minimum of five to 10 years to see the results of your sustained efforts, the entrepreneurial journey is not for you. Um, I have been in business since, uh, I think this will be 10 years this year, maybe a bit more. I mean, it's hard to really determine where you, st- my, my whole journey has been longer than 10 years, but I think like in terms of me opening the internet business has been 10 years and that's about what it takes. And when I say you're willing to see, you, you aren't willing to wait, uh, or I could, I should say the entrepreneurial journey is not for you if you're not willing to wait five to 10 years. It doesn't mean that in the lead up to that first five year or even in the first year, you won't see positive results and positive successes. It's just that for you to see the accumulation of those results, it's not going to happen today or tomorrow in four months or whatever. It takes the scope of changes that need to happen and the scope of, of things that happen take a while. And I think that oftentimes humans have a hard time looking at time and understanding how much time it takes for things to actually pass. I mean, the the relative speed of physical reality is fairly slow. Like for changes to happen in the climate or in politics or in money or in relationships or in your your physical body. A simple a simple exercise to think about is when you want to lose body fat. You can't just say, I want to lose body fat and then go for a run and come back and say, ah, did it. You know, it takes physical energy for you to burn calories and then a sustained effort of that practice over time to lose weight and then a sustained effort after that to consistently keep it off. And along the process of losing weight, you'll see a little bit of improvement every day. You'll see sometimes, oh, I don't have lost any weight, but I look different in the light. Or I haven't lost any weight, but I look like I'm getting leaner. So that's interesting. Or my pants are fitting differently. Oh, now I've lost five pounds. Oh, now I've lost 10. And then, you know, two years later, you look back and you're a different person. Five years later, you look back and you're, you know, a supermodel. <laughs> and, um, you know, those changes take a while, but there is gradual progress happening. It's almost like if you are boiling a pot of water, you know, all along the process to that reaching its boiling point it's increasing in temperature and there's there are chemical changes that are happening. Now, if you take it off the burner, it'll stop boiling. You have to let it reach its boiling point. We don't take the, the pot of pasta off the water after 10 seconds because the pasta hasn't cooked yet. We have to leave it on there for the whole process to complete because there are changes happening, chemical changes happening under the surface the entire time and we need to let those processes take place before we can complete our work. And it's the same thing happening with business. So you have to give it that time. You know, I could go on. I think you get the point. There are a lot of great reasons to stay at a corporate job. You know, many love the idea of making money with relatively little responsibility. Uh, They appreciate the consistency of the paycheck and have, you know, more pressing concerns than dealing with the day-to-day slog that running a company can sometimes be. And I definitely respect that position. You know, for me, my heart would not be fully in anything that I didn't have the stamp of my creation on. And that's why I'm still here. That's why I'm thriving. And only you can decide what's best for you ultimately. So that's my that's my question. Prince says he agrees. So let's move on to today's uh, second question. I have, you know, a bunch of different little um, little things I want to share with you today. Another question I got to you was from someone uh, via the via the the Instagram inbox. You can always hit me up at Daniel D. Piazza on Instagram. And if you don't know how to find me, you might as well just click on the link in the show notes because sometimes they shadow ban me and you can't find me even if you search me. Now, uh, somebody asked, what are good ways to attract clients to our business? We just started a business. We're working on business director, or business direct. I think he meant B2B sales. 
B2B sales, how can we find clients? Great question. So this is a bit of a loaded question because with the state of today's completely connected world, all the target customers are already there. It's how you approach getting them that will determine your success. Now, even if we think about, let's just zoom this, zoom out for a minute. And if you've been paying attention to what's happening in um, in the Facebook world recently, we'll call it Meta. Meta over the past three months has lost $216 billion with a B in market cap. In large part due to the fact that they're fighting with Apple. Apple has changed their privacy policies to make it harder for Facebook to identify and target ad customers, which is creating really bad results for ads on Facebook. And as a result, many advertisers have pulled their money out of Facebook so that they're not they're not wasting it because Facebook is no longer targeting customers. Well, I know this. We spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on Facebook ads in 2020 and 2021, and our, our results were so bad that we started pulling out all of our money. Now, we're just one company with one product, and there's different ways you can be successful on Facebook ads. I'm not even saying they're completely dead. I'm just saying the performance uh, that they used to have from 2015 to probably 19 was so strong that we almost felt like they could do no wrong. They were always, they were just hitting home runs. But we now see that their performance was heavily dependent on their relationship with different providers like Apple. And once Apple changed their rules, Facebook completely crumbled. I say that to say that all the customers that you were looking for for your business are still online just because you might not be able to access them as well through an advertising platform like Facebook. Doesn't mean that your customers aren't there anymore, okay? It just means that you have to approach them in new and different ways and you can't depend on one place to get to your customers. So let's talk about this. Basically, there are two ways to find clients. You can go to them directly and you can market them directly. That's outbound. Or you can wait for them to come to you, which is inbound. And both make up important elements of client acquisition. So if you have outbound marketing, Depending on your style of business, your strengths, and your desired intensity, you can always do do cold calls or cold emails. And I know this is very scary. I mean, I've even done like like door-to-door canvassing where I'm knocking on the doors. This is oh, back in the summer of one of my college summers, and I was knocking on the doors and of a local uh, of a local neighborhood selling. What was I selling? I was selling. I don't even think I was actually. I was actually asking for donations for a water conservation project which the only person I got to sign up was I happened on the very last door I knocked on that day was the assistant principal of my school by accident. She donated and I was just like, fuck man, like this is a horrible day. No one wants this. But if you have something that they actually want, you might be doing quite better with door to door calls, even door to door sales at door, you know, literally physical door to door, but, but cold calls as well. Cold emails do work at various businesses I've run. We've used cold emails and we've basically helped members of my client group do the same. And it is harder to to do cold calls or cold emails. There is more rejection when you're calling people that you don't know or you're calling people from a list of potential prospects or you're, uh, there's even you can pay for direct mail lists, email lists, and phone lists. And um, a lot of my friends who do real estate, they will um, basically use free or paid tools to extract lists of, let's say, for instance, homes that are in pre-foreclosure. So for instance, if you are a wholesaler, right, and you uh, you are looking to buy someone's house who's who wants to get out of their house, they're a motivated seller, and you want to sell it to someone who's buying properties, they're a motivated buyer, you act as the middle person. What you do is you go with a list of homes you're about to get foreclosed on, and you would call one of those homes and say, uh, hey there, looks like you're about to foreclose on your home, or your home's about to be foreclosed because you haven't been paying the bill. Really sorry to hear about that. Be happy to buy your home in cash for you at X fair reasonable price to get you out of it. I'll give you cash. Uh, it's very, very simple. And they say, sure. 
and then you buy that house from them for cash, and then you sell that house for more than you paid for it to another buyer. That's wholesaling. That requires cold calls, cold emails. What have I experienced through cold calls and emails? Of course, people have yelled at me, they've screamed at me, they've hung up, all that stuff. But it's also free. The only thing it takes, if you're doing it, is your sweat equity and your time. And that experience is worth it. And that time is something that when you are starting off as a startup is your resource. You don't have capital, but you have your human capital. And so that's really, really good. So outbound is good. Definitely rejection. You can buy the list. Now, the same thing with cold calling, of course. You There's a cheap software you can get. It's called Mojo Dialer. And what you can really do is sort through phone numbers and you can call people. Um, this is legit. It does still work. You can text people. And it allows you to, what you can do is you can take, you know, 100 phone numbers and what happens is you put all the phone numbers in and it dials like three at a time. And then whoever answers first, you pick up that number and has their information and it logs the call and it has notes you can take on them. And so really it's just, it's just, you're just pressing the phone and it's just calling, 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 calling. And um, it's just, it's just a way of racking up those points, those, those XP, those experience points to say you're 10,000 hours of your sales training. And, uh, and after a while, you know, you'll start to get good at it. This is outbound outreach. You know, and of course there's also, when you're talking about outbound, you might even think of, we were talking about Facebook ads and PPC, which is pay-per-click ads as outbound. I think that's probably considered inbound marketing because people have to click on it and opt in. But one could say that things like commercials or ads themselves are outbound because they're putting the lead out there for you to respond to it. Um, and they're actively going after your attention. But there's also an argument to me made that's inbound. And inbound marketing is essentially, um, it's it's a really important part of customer acquisition because you have Facebook, you have Google, you have YouTube. People are looking for your stuff there. There's also niche sites like Reddit and you know Quora, your social media traffic, your content, all the funnels, and the email marketing you set up, that's all inbound. It's much needed. And of course, inbound also includes referrals. And I think I should close by saying this. If you are new to business, the most important source of business you can get is a referral because referral is the most highly qualified lead. Usually referrals have the highest probability of enrolling in your program, signing up for your course, uh, buying your product, leaving a review because referrals are coming from a trusted source who they've already vetted. I can tell you for a fact that uh, one of my friends came over in 2019, just about well, middle of 2020, right before we were about to move to Oregon and he just got in a Tesla and you know he wasn't trying to like promo it to me. He wasn't trying to do a commercial, but he was just taking me through and showing me all the features of the car. And um, I was just like flabbergasted how cool it was. And six months later, I had a Tesla. And I can directly say it was because of that interaction. I was like, man, Mark has a Tesla. I got to get a Tesla now. Obviously, it was like peer pressure and it was like keeping up with the Joneses. But more, it was like I trust his assessment of it. And I think it'd be worth me investing in. And I didn't – I saw that and I didn't bother to read the fact that J.D. Power and Associates had given them the, the best review of the in class. Like, what the fuck is J.D. Power and Associates? Like, who even cares about this? I didn't read the the reviews on Amazon reviews of Tesla. I don't know if they have Amazon. I didn't read the – I didn't watch the Tesla reviews for the most part. Like, I did my research, but I'd already made up my mind. And the mind that I made up was because of the direct and the emphatic uh, emphasis from a friend. So that's what I thought was so important. And you'll find that your strongest – uh, customer relationships will often come from referrals. So always look for referrals and try to create referrals intentionally. So as you're building your business, I know we're talking about inbound and outbound. Referrals are definitely inbound. As you're working with clients and you're doing this successfully, even when you're first starting with them, say, hey, I'm so excited to work with you. I'm going to do a great job for you. I'm going to over deliver. I mean, you know, and when I do, the one thing I ask is that 
Um, you would just refer maybe to three or four friends or two or three friends who you think, or even one friend, even if you want to make a small ask at first, one friend who you think might benefit from working with me. And just intentionally build referrals into your doing of the business. And that becomes the most valuable inbound lead you can, type, you can basically get. So that's what I would recommend for you. So that is all about, I mean, look, I wrote a whole book on it. It's called Ditch Your Average Job, Start an Epic Business, Swirl Left You Want. It's called Rich 20-something. You know about this book. You can Google search me. You can Amazon search me. I wrote a book about all the different ways you can sell things inbound and outbound. But that's the overall overview. I hope that you enjoyed. I hope you enjoyed that. So let's move on to the final question. This is coming from George out of Texas. George said, hey, Daniel, uh, how do I meet and become friends with successful people? I think we answered this last week as well. One of the things that I was thinking about as well is um, talking about building a community. I think um, one of the most underrated elements of, of personal fulfillment is building a community of like-minded people who have your best interest in mind, who are there to look out for you, and who also are going to um, to help usher you into success. You know, it's been said on here already on this podcast that like attracts like, and I definitely couldn't agree more. And to elaborate on that, I think what's most attractive to others is your mindset. Having the confidence to interact with people who are more successful than you will go a long way in building a relationship with them. And I'm not, I don't necessarily mean you're measuring people always in terms of like, money, who has more money than you. But what I recommend and encourage you to do is find people who are doing actively the thing that you want to do. doesn't mean they have to be master in it, but they should be accomplishing things that are maybe even just a few steps ahead of you so that you can talk to them, so that you can understand their mindset, so that you can understand their position and probably see that they're a human like you and pull up their pants just the same as you do. Now, that being said, the other half of getting close to successful people is putting in the work yourself. And the more successful you become, the more you'll begin to move in different circles of influence. And in order to, you know, exist in these circles of influence where the successful people dwell, you're going to have to figure out your unique angle to what the game is. And of course, really that comes down to mastering your craft, whatever your craft is. I know that I was just at a party in Austin over the last uh, weekend or so, and I was with a group of friends out there who, uh, some were old, some were new, I'd met for the first time. And this might sound crazy, but well, I'll, I'll tell you this, I um. I moved to Oregon when the pandemic happened and we moved north and everyone else in California seemed to move uh, east and many of them ended up in Austin, which had a huge influx of population. And a lot of my friends moved there and then they also started making a lot of friends since they moved a big group. And what I thought to myself is I still like being in Oregon. I don't necessarily want to be around all you motherfuckers all the time. But what I might do is I might make an effort to come out there at least once a month because I want to intentionally build my community out there. That's what I was really getting at with this. You have to be intentional about building friendships in your adult life. When we're in school, friendships happen naturally. Oh, I like video games. You like video games. We're friends. Oh, I'm I'm in the same class as you are. So we're friends. Automatic. As an adult, those friendships don't happen automatically because of proximity. They have to happen because of intention. So when you go somewhere and you meet someone that you really enjoy talking to or hanging out with, you say, hey, this is really great. You know, let me get in, let's get in contact. When you get their contact information, then you make a note to follow up. And you, you know, obviously you want to uh, go where you're reciprocated. And if they're not giving you the same energy, you don't give it back to them. But you have to intentionally create the friendship. Sometimes it feels easier than others because you have so much in common. It's just an easy laugh. But generally speaking, as adults, it's because we're busy. We got kids, we got jobs, we got lives, we got, you know, uh, everything to deal with. And we want to make sure that we are putting the time in to build a relationship and not just assume it's going to happen. And so part of my effort is saying, all right, I got a lot of people who I know in Austin already who are there and a lot of people who I don't know but would like to get to know when I'm there. So I'm going to be flying out to Austin at least once a month, you know, 
two to four days per month I'll spend out there. And I'll spend it out there, one, uh, building connections with the friends that I made at this most recent event. And two, there's also some of the best jujitsu training in the world in Austin. In fact, John Donaher, um, Gordon Ryan, Gary Toner are all out there. And so it's, it's literally the best training in the world out there. The greatest living professor is out there. And so I'm going to spend as much time as out there as I can. Who knows how long he'll be there. And that's another thing too of you want to talk about being around successful people. The successful people in that gym who are training are the ones who I want to be around. And just by being around them, even when I was just there last weekend, just rolling with people who are at that level, how do you think you would get to the level where they're at? Would you get to the level just by watching them on the internet? No, you need to be around them, feeling what it feels like to roll with people who are winning these ADCT championships, feeling what it feels like to roll with people who have this vast amount of knowledge and understanding where you actually stack up next to them, being in proximity, building community, being intentional about it. Will it cost me some money? Yes, it's going to cost me some money to go out there. So you really say I'm putting my money where my mouth is. It also means that when I go out there, I'm not going to be wasting time. Some people ask me about, you know, when it comes to being successful, you know, how they can be, how, how they can get a better job. And one of the things I think that goes overlooked too is the proximity of your job. Now, we're in a space where many of us can do the thing we want to do remotely, and that's pretty cool. But even if you can do what you want to do remotely, wouldn't you want to live in an area where there are naturally more opportunities for you? I think natural proximity to things that are fun and exciting in cities that have interesting cultures and relevant popular things is a great way to just increase the odds of success in whatever it is you're trying to pursue. So proximity is important. But overall, like attracts like. And the more you develop yourself, the more others will be attracted and drawn to you. Another thing I'll say too is that one thing I, I get from people that I interact with that I think is a positive thing about me and one of the things that serve me in my relationship is especially people who are more successful than me, I don't I don't treat them any differently. I will treat them with respect. I treat everyone with respect. But what happens is I think it's useful if when you get to know people, as much as you can, try to just in your mind accelerate the friendship and treat them as you would as if you already knew them because that creates the natural feeling of comfort with others where they let their guard down. So obviously you get to know what people's likes and dislikes are over time and you don't make any assumptions about them. But I try to let my guard down with people as if I already knew them so that they can do the same with me and quickly the conversation starts to flow a little bit easily, more easily. And that actually helps the relationship accelerate. So you obviously use your discretion. That's my personality. But what I found is that it does help when you don't treat successful people like some sort of like alien or some sort of like strange anomaly. And, and you really, um, you really just treat them like you've already, like, like when you're talking to someone, when you're writing copy, for instance, there's something called beer copy, which is like, would you say this having a, a beer with a friend in a bar? You know, if you would, that's something that another might relate to when they read it. If it's not, if it feels too stuffy, they might not relate to it. And I feel that in our interactions with people, especially with people who are new, we're either very shy or very stuffy. And oftentimes others are also shy and they also might feel, you know, an over, uh, a need to be a little bit more formal than necessary. And I feel like if we can intentionally drop that wall, they will do the same and then they mirror us. It's almost like if you look at someone, how someone holds their body, oftentimes the, you, you will mirror each other's body language. If they have their arms crossed, you cross your arms, you know, so people will mimic you. And I think if you come in with a more of a relaxed approach to things, just remember, this person probably had diarrhea within the past 30 days, okay? And if they've had diarrhea, they're a normal person. They crap their pants just like you do. They're embarrassed just like you do. They've had fears and anxieties. They've cried their eyes out. They've had people die. All this normal shit, all this stuff has happened to them. And when they're meeting you for the first time, they're presenting some version of themselves that they want you to see. Maybe not 
because they're trying to deceive you, but that's just who they are in their front-facing persona. But if you can realize that most people are putting that on, especially in more public situations where you're meeting them for the first time, then you can just kind of look through that and say, oh, okay, we're two humans talking. And even if you don't say those specific words, they will feel that you have that energy and then they'll be more likely to just open up to you. And I can tell you that because most of the people who I'm friends with, I've met through my show or just through interactions with that Typically, you know, these are people that I meet from a in, a in a public persona capacity who I met in passing as an interview or part of a promotion, but then they end up being my friends because I bring them into my world. Even people who've, you know, who've have incredible businesses and are, you know, very, very busy. I've been able to create genuine real friendships with where we'll, I will text them and they'll text me back and we'll have phone calls and all because guess what? Rich, successful people need friends too. I know Drake made the song, No New Friends, but that's really like him saying, I need friends. It's like when you say, it's like when David Goggins wrote his book and he said, can't hurt me. Literally writing a book called Can't Hurt Me is all about how hurt he is. So when you're talking about uh, friendships, realize that even very successful people long and crave relationships. We all crave connection and community. And if you can get people to open up to you, they love to have a new person to open up to. Because most people don't have anybody. So just something to think about as you go throughout this world, trying to make friends with more successful people. As you become more successful yourself, you will attract them. And then the way that you act when you're with them will keep them. So that's all I have to say on this. Those are three really good questions. I really appreciate you guys sending these in. Of course, you can always email me, daniel at newwaveentrepreneur.com. You can always search on Instagram when they decide to actually let that search bar work. Daniel DPL's on Instagram. And you can also uh, hit me up directly um on the other platforms that's all i got for you today guys make sure you are liking and subscribing to wherever you are listening to this on the water is warm the tide is rising let's jump on in and surf this new wave daniel